0: Welcome to Lakewood's Sermon Podcast. We're glad you're here, and we'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 online at lakewoodok.com slash live, or we'd also love to see you in person at our campus in McAllister. Good morning. I, uh, I hope you've had a good week. I've had a great week. I got to, for the first time in my life this week, shoot a buck, and it was a big one which was great. I even had one of my friends on Facebook, I posted up to Facebook and I had one of my friends comment on saying, hey man, congratulations, all that hard work finally paid off. Between you, me, and the internet, I sat in that blind for 15 minutes. I barely had time to load a weapon before that buck was there. But no, so if you ever, you know, there will come a point in the very near future where I give a sermon on undeserved grace, and that's where that story's going to come back at some point. But no, it was a really great experience, uh, and not only that, but my freezer's happy because it's going to get filled up again, so I'm excited. Uh, but I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, because um, the truth is we have a lot to be thankful for. You know, one of my things that I love about Thanksgiving is I love the family, and most of us didn't get to have that as much as we hoped this year. Uh, but I also love that it's a time that is specifically set aside for us just to stop, take a breath, and attempt to be thankful, to realize what we have, and we have a lot to be thankful for. You woke up this morning. Not everybody in the world can say that. You have air in your lungs. You had the ability to leave your home and come and be in this room, or if you're watching online, you have internet capabilities. Congratulations. Um, But we get to come together, whether online or in person, and we get to worship God together and be encouraged by his word. Uh, That is an undeserved grace. And so we have a lot to be thankful for. We're blessed people. Because not only do we have the ability to be here, but we also have the gift of the word of God that fits into our hands. Most of you have it on your phones. And today we get to open it up and we get to read not just Paul's dying words to Timothy, but really God's living word to us. So as we start today, I'm going to give you the opportunity to hear Paul's words to Timothy in the the passage today. But a couple things to remember before we dive in. Paul, when he writes this letter, is currently in prison in Rome awaiting an execution that's coming very quickly. Paul's writing to Timothy, who's leading a church in Ephesus. And one of the things that's happening in the church of Ephesus is that so many people are, Timothy is dealing with false teachers that are trying to take the gospel and make it more palatable to the Greek thought, specifically when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus. So that's what's going on. Now let's stop, let's take a breath. These words are not going to be on the screen uh, because I want to invite you just to hear them first. So let's take a moment and let's read this together. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, who, however... You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worst." To worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would take these, these few moments that we're uh, going through this, and Lord, that you would overwhelm me. Lord, that your spirit would be the one that leads today, that you would uh, you would speak and that we would hear. God, please give us clarity. Uh, we ask that you would challenge us and give us clarity uh, Oh God, that you would give us the courage to apply your word. Please speak. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I don't know if you got it yet, but that piece of scripture that we just read, it's it's not exactly like a real warm, fuzzy piece, is it? It's talking about all this different stuff that's going on. You don't have to read very far into it before you're like, man, some of this kind of seems like it's applying to our world today, but then we kind of go through this weird stuff. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit today. Paul starts this section in chapter 3 by saying this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. That's how Paul starts this section of Scripture. He says, hey, Timothy, I know you think it's difficult right now. I know you're pulling your hair out with all these false teachers and things that are happening in Ephesus and people not doing what they're supposed to do. But I just want to encourage you in my last words to you to tell you this, it's about to get worse. Isn't that great? I'm going to do that next time somebody comes into my office and they're, they're upset or they're having a hard time in life and I'm just going to be like, oh, don't worry, I've got let me tell you, let me tell you, this will encourage you. It's about to get so much worse that you're going to look back on this and think those were the good days. <laughs> That's what Paul does with Timothy here. He says, hey, Timothy, there are about to come times of difficulty. And Timothy's like, I thought I was living in times of difficulty. He says it's going to get harder. But we also see in the last chapter where he ends with a bit of a hopeful tone. Remember, he was talking about having hope that these people, these false teachers, would experience a spiritual recovery in Hebrews, or, sorry, in 2 Timothy 2.25. He says it, that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Paul had hope that there would be redemption. Paul had hope that they were not beyond salvation. But despite his hope, Paul tells Timothy, things are about to get worse. And he does that by starting with saying, in the last days. I don't know, sometimes whenever I see in the last days, my head peaks up a little bit. Or how many times whenever you see one of those harvest moods comes up that's a little bit red, we have that moment of like, is it time, Jesus? Is this, what, is this gonna happen now? Like every time we hear this last days talk, conversation, it kind of draws us in a little bit. And so Paul starts by saying, in the last days. And for us living almost 2,000 years later, this may hit us a little weird. What are the last days? Is Timothy living in the last days? Is Paul even talking about the time that Timothy is living? Or is he talking about a future when, he, when we will arrive at the, quote, last days? And I really think the answer to all those questions is yes. And this isn't even the first time, really, that we've seen this kind of talk in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, Luke quotes the prophet Joel uh, Talking about the last days. It starts in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. He says, But this is what is, was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below. Really quick, before I go further, right at that prophesy mark, notice that shift that happens. He's talking about prophecy, going through all these different things, and then it shifts. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a whole lot that just happened in that passage. In verses 16 through 18, you get the outpouring of the Spirit and prophesying. That gets you to this point right here. That's 16 through 18. All this is this outpouring of the Spirit. But then in verse 19, you get blood, fire, vapor, smoke, the sun turning to darkness and the moon to blood. And I have to ask myself, when is that going to happen? What are the prophet... Of Joel and Luke talking about here because in 2020 things are looking bleak and many of us would probably not be surprised if Paul wrote us a personal letter saying hey guys it's the last days but yeah we know we're watching the news but get this the New Testament writers had an understanding that they were in the last days and that the last days began with the very first breath of Jesus Christ we see that in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 It says, but in the last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed to be the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. So the coming of Jesus really was the ushering in of the last days. So when Paul tells Timothy that in the last days he's gonna experience difficulty, he's talking specifically about what Timothy is experiencing right then in his life and also in the near future. But he's also talking about the existence of An experience of the church. Going forward from that point until the final last day. So was Timothy living in the last days? Yes. Are we living in the last days? Yes. But keep in mind, we've been living in them now for 2,000 years. So when Luke was quoting the prophet Joel, those first two verses talking about the Spirit being poured out, it's really easy to read that and understand that he's talking about Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came on the disciples of Jesus and they began to prophesy, they began to speak in tongues, and the church really had its beginning. And then between verses 18 and 19, because it's nice, verse 18 is you know the end of prophesying, and then in verse 19 it tells all this stuff about the final last day, And between those two verses, in that wide space between those two verses, you get the entire history and age of the church. Right there. The age of the church which we are in. The age of the church which is the last age of this world. So is it happening now? Or next week? Will I get through this sermon before trumpets start going off? Man, I really hope so. (laughs) Or is it happening in the year 3000? We don't know. We do know that we can expect difficulty. And we know that we're called to step into our circumstances, and we're called to use whatever gifts God has given us to be able to work the fields that God has set before us. We know that to be true. But we also know this, that this should bring about an urgency within us, to realize that we are living in the last days, regardless of when the last day comes, because the truth is this, that whether, let's see if it goes, yeah, whether Jesus comes back today or in a thousand years, time is short. A thousand years is a really long time. But the eternal for us is always a heartbeat away. That's the thing. We are one breath away from the eternal every day of our lives. And that should give us a sense of urgency. That should give us a different perspective of our lives. And then Paul takes that and now he paints the picture He says, Timothy, there's going to be hard times in the last days. And he says, Timothy, you're in the last days. So are you, everybody. We're all in the last days across the whole thing. But there's going to be hard times. And then in verses 2 through 5, he goes into description of what those hard times are going to be. He says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, I love how you put disobedient to their parents, anyway, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. It's so easy to see this passage and immediately say, yep, he's talking about right now, All you have to do is read the comments section on a YouTube video to see that he is talking about right now. It's the funniest thing. I tell my wife all the time, don't read the comments, sweetie. It's only gonna make you mad. But she always does, and so do I. Uh, But anyway, all you have to do is to go through that and you see that we are in a fallen world. And the truth is, is that yes, this is talking about us. We are experiencing these things today, the entire list today. But the thing is, is for the entire age of the church, they can point to where they have experienced these same things. It's talking about us, but not only us, because we can see these struggles in every age of the church, in Ephesus, in Rome. Oh, in Rome is so much worse. Throughout the Crusades and the Reformation, to the United States throughout its history. And we can read these words and we can know that really this is the description of where we would be were it not for Jesus. we still struggle with this stuff, don't we? I mean, I went through it. Lovers of self, lovers of money, or trusters of money, proud, arrogant. I don't know if I'm abusive, but I mean, I remember times of being disobedient to my parents. And then we keep going and going without self-control, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure that, rather than lovers of God. But you know the one that hurts me the most? It's when it says that we have the appearance of godliness, but we deny its power. I know that God does not give anybody a spiritual gift of worry, but there are times where that is what my struggle is. And in times where things seem like they're going the wrong direction, where comfort is way out the window and you don't know what's coming around the next corner, it is so easy to rely on our own hope and we look at God like he's not in control of what's happening, to have the appearance of godliness but deny God's power. And just in this year, how often have you gravitated towards cynicism and despair? How much have we attempted to lean on our own understanding? How many times have we looked at torn relationships in our own lives and given them up as lost causes? How many times have we seen easy paths and the called paths and chosen the easy one? Because we're called to be followers of Jesus Christ who gives us the power to forgive, the power to take the hard path, the power to trust in God's understanding over our own, and in the face of overwhelming cynicism, the power to reach for hope. And we're supposed to be known as a people that are hopeful. 1 Peter 3.15 says it this way. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Our hope is supposed to stand out in a sea of cynics. Because we have something to hope for. And we don't just want to ape- the appearance of godliness. We want to believe in his power. We want to believe in his promises. Because we have something to hope for. So the next point of the day is this. That between cynicism and hope, reach for hope. It's the calling card of the Christian. That in the middle of everything going on, we stand as godly people and we trust in his power the power to give us perspective, the power to help us to see our struggles in light of His grace. We have something to hope for. And it really should give us a holy, unique perspective during difficult times. So, Paul has told us time is short. We need to be reachers for hope. And then he continues in verse 8. It says just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses so these men also opposed the truth men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as was of those two men so Paul has now completely shifted gears a little bit again because what he says is this as was or just as Janus and Jambres now Janus and Jambres these were the two magicians in Pharaoh's court in the book of Exodus so Moses is coming up to, or to, to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. I, I can't do a good impression of that. I'm sorry. I wish I could. Uh, but he comes up to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. And so all these plagues start to come to the Egyptians through Moses, God working through Moses. And Janus and Jambres, the two magicians, were trying to imitate the power of God. And we can see that so separated from us, but the truth is this is that we live in a world that is full of imitators of God. Satan, at his heart, is an imitator of God's power. See, we serve a God who offers forgiveness and freedom and fulfillment. But the imitator offers those same things. But where God shows this path through service and selflessness, The imitator draws us towards self-sufficiency, success, and control. Where God calls us to be seekers of joy, which transcends circumstances as a direct gift from God, the imitator calls us to be seekers of happiness, which is completely dependent on circumstance and is never truly fulfilled. And there are so many imitations out there that that give promises that they can't deliver on. And so Paul talking to Timothy says, hey, listen, man, there are imitators right in front of you. These false teachers that are preaching something that may offer a momentary comfort or an instant gratification, but leads to death. And we're surrounded by that all the time in our world as it is right now. I would say that every single person in this room under my voice that watches this video has some form of an imitator in their life that they're completely buying into. My my mother uh, works at a bank, but she used to be a teller. She started as a teller in this bank, and it's really interesting. They would train them on how to spot counterfeit bills. But one of the things that they would never do is they wouldn't they would never bring in a bunch of counterfeit bills and say here's how they here's how they're messing this up this up and you guys need to study these to see all the different ways that they're trying to counterfeit these things. That's not what they did with her. Instead, what they did was they brought in the genuine artifact. And they said, study this, know this, because if it's not this, then it's not real. And I, I tell you, that'll preach. I was 16 when I heard it, and I thought I would preach then. Because we look at the, if we look and we stare at all the imitators that are around us, if we look and stare at everything that is giving us a lie, then we are never going to be able to discern truth from fiction. But if we put our eyes on Jesus, it's very easy for us to see what is not him. We don't hold on to Jesus by trying to understand every tactic of the devil. We know what's real or not because our eyes are on Christ. There's a scene in John 4, 13 where he kind of hits on this a little bit. He's talking to this woman at a well and he says this, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What Jesus says is this, that I am offering Real fulfillment. That I am the well that gives real life. And the imitator only offers that which keeps us coming back over and over again to these wells of destruction and despair. It's like someone being lost on a raft in the ocean who drinks salt water believing that it will slake his thirst only to wind up more thirsty than he was before. It's true for us, and it's true for Timothy in Ephesus. But then Paul goes on and he tries to give Timothy another encouragement. Because Paul says this, just like Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, right? So not only did he point out the imposters, then he goes over to Moses and what he says is this, hey Timothy, you were in the position of Moses here. Wouldn't that be great? To have someone come up to you and say, hey, you know, you've read the Bible, you know Moses? Yeah, that's you. That's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, you were in the position of Moses. He puts the false teachers in the role of Janice and Chambers, but Timothy he puts in the place of Moses. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, realize who you are, man. Be like Moses in this situation. You're a mouthpiece of God in the same way that Moses was, in the same way that Moses stood before the ruler of a nation to proclaim the word of God. You were standing in front of your church. And it's the same for us as well. We're gifted, we're called, we're placed in the field that God has given us to work. And we could see it as small and insignificant. Or we could see it for what it was, what it is. That we're the hands and feet of God, placed specifically where we are now to do the work that he has called us to do. Moses couldn't say any different. Without God, Moses is just a murderer who ran away. But through Christ, through God, he stood and led the nation and led God's people. And now he's held up as this hero of the faith. And the difference between Moses and you is whether or not you will do what God has called you to do and stand in submission to him. And so it leads me to the question is that what if we could, even in just in part, have the perspective of God in our current situations? What if we could see God's plan instead of our circumstance? Something that would allow us to see what God is doing. And so the next point of the day is this, that as the church, we need to be a people who pray for as much of God's perspective as we can stand. You can't take it all. I mean, our heads would explode if we tried to take in all of it. But really, if we can just be people who pray for as much of the perspective of God as we can stand, because God is so much bigger than we are and we can't take it all. But what if we ask God to give us just as much as we can take? God, let me know just as much as I need to know to be able to have your vision in this world, to see people through your eyes, to see difficulties as opportunities, to see persecution as a privilege. And so Paul finishes this whole section. He says, Timothy, you've got this, man. It's the last days. These things are happening. It's going to get really hard, but you're Moses in this time, man. Get ready for it. Be ready for what's coming. And then he says this, Timothy, don't forget, things are going to go from bad to worse. He even goes so far as in verse 12 to say that indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, it's not just dealing with false teachers, man. They're coming after you. You think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. And he doesn't leave any room here uh, for maybes. He gives a definitive statement if you call yourself a Christian, then you will be persecuted. He doesn't finish it with maybe. He says that is one of the defining characteristics of Christians. Jesus said it too. If the world hates you, understand it hated me first. It's not going to treat a servant different than the master. But then Paul calls us back where we would maybe be tempted to be shaken by that statement, that we will be persecuted. We may be shaken by that, but then Paul calls us back at that moment. And this is where we're going to start to leave it today. Chapter 3, verse 16. where we would be tempted to be shaken, Paul calls Timothy back to the foundation of the word. He says, hold on to this. In 3.16 it says, that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says, these things are going to get from bad to worse, but let me draw you back to the firm foundation of Scripture. And then in verse 16, he tells Timothy the things that specifically cover every aspect of his ministry. He says, Timothy, you're a preacher, man. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. He says, that's what you need. That's what the Word of God can give you. But he doesn't leave it alone right there. Because yes, he says... All this stuff you need, Timothy, but then he turns the dice and he points it to the church and he says this, that it also equips us for every good work. It says we are also equipped through this, that the word equips us. So every scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and it is useful for equipping us for every good work. You know one of the things that I really enjoy though? I love that I get to be up here and then I get, to, I get to talk to you about Jesus and about the word of God and I really enjoy the conversations that happen later. But also this. One of the dangers of studying scripture is sometimes we think that that's all we're called to do. But read this scripture again because what it says is this, that all scripture is breathed out by God and then we skip to the end and is useful So the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What it says is this, is that scripture equips us, but then we're called to put it to work. It's not just about studying the Bible. It's not just about coming and sitting in a pew on Sundays. It's about taking the word of God, applying it to your life, and putting it to work, because things are getting bad, and they're going to get worse. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way, that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The most common thing that Jesus said to his disciples when he was calling them was this, follow me. This is an action. It's something that we're called to do. And if we would truly claim to be disciples of Christ, the word disciple, it's interesting. to be To disciple someone is basically to take them and to turn them like you. That's, that's what it means. To disciple someone in Christ means to take someone and turn them like Jesus. In fact, whenever Christians were first called Christians, it was meant to be a thing that says, you guys are just like little Jesuses out there. You're little Christ's. And the point is this, that if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we have to be disciples. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, then we have to be prepared to follow him to take the word that has equipped us and to put it into action in the fields that he's called us to. And so as a church that's living in 2020, the year that just won't seem to end, let's remember this, that our time is short, that we're to be those that reach for hope in the sea of cynicism, a people who pray for the perspective of God and who are equipped by the word for the work that we're called to do as we put feet to our faith. We are alive and called for this time. Like Esther, who was called to a position of royalty for a specific purpose, we too are called for a time such as this. It's not a mistake that you're alive and breathing today. And it's time for the church to get to work. Whenever we had the state of the church, we talked about this. It's one of the things we're most excited about. It's for the church to take up this call and take it seriously. For the church to come in and say, I am going to go to work. And so if I could challenge you today, it's this, as we pray, that you get excited about that. That you ask God earnestly, God, with my gifts, with my talents, with what you've given me and where I'm at, what would you have me do with your word? What would you have me do? You're equipping me with your word. Where do you want me to go put it into practice? How do you want me to follow you? And then grab as many of us as you can to take alongside you, and let's go get to work. Let's pray. God, we love you. And Lord, uh, we're so thankful that our work is not what saves us. You have already saved us. But God, I ask that you would give us uh, You would give us the gratitude to want to put our faith into action. God, that we would get your perspective, God, that you would remind us of our hope, because God, we love you. Father, please continue to speak to us, Holy Spirit. Please take these words and continue to move in us, God. Help us to be, help us to find uh, the uh, the imposters that are at work in our lives. God, help us to put our eyes towards you. God, thank you for our salvation. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.